setting limits with others, especially in high-conflict situations where they're needed more than anywhere, or actually in any uncomfortable situation, is hard for most people. So we've created a place to learn how to do it in our virtual live lab, where you'll meet live one-on-one with one of our coaches to learn how to set limits. We'll use some of our own scenarios, and if you want, we can help you learn to apply them in your unique situation as well. It's a small investment with significant positive outcomes for you and for everyone involved in the situation. Schedule your live lab at highconflictinstitute.com slash live dash lab or call us at 619-800-2070. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging human interactions. Those that are with people that we'd say are high conflict or have a high conflict personality. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. We are the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. And now in today's episode, we're going to take a slight diversion from our schedule. Um, At the end of the last episode, I announced we'd be talking to Dr. Jay Lieberman in this episode. But due to the, um, you know, the eruption that's happened in the world over Ukraine, um, we thought this would be an important interruption. So today we'll be talking about what may be one of our most important discussions ever on this this podcast, the atrocities being committed against Ukraine by, by Putin. We'll focus on Bill's recent article called Putin Attacking Ukraine. Is this malignant narcissism? And if so, can we predict his future actions? Now, if you have questions about what's happening uh, uh, surrounding this troubling topic, please send us your questions. And we'll be talking about this in future episodes for sure. So send them through our website at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast or email us at podcast at highconflictinstitute.com. You can find all the show notes and links at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast as well. Please give us a rate or review and tell your friends, colleagues, or family about us, especially if they're dealing with a high conflict situation. We are very grateful. And now let's get to it. Bill, you know, the world is very troubled right now, uh, or at least most of the world, about the war being waged by Putin against Ukraine. In this first eight days of aggressive action, we've heard the media suggesting that Putin's behaviors have changed recently and asking whether, you know, he's suddenly become mentally ill or or maybe perhaps his mental status has worsened um, of recent. Now, this article that you've written has gained a lot of a, a lot of attention about this topic. So let's dive right in. Let's talk about that article um, and malignant narcissism. Let's. Can you explain that a little bit further? Yeah. So in the article, I explained that this is actually a diagnosis that's been uh, was established in the 1960s by Eric Fromm, a psychologist, and then by the 1980s was more further defined by a psychoanalyst Otto Kernberg. And I was fortunate to hear Otto Kernberg at a conference, the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference, which recurs every four or five years, an excellent assortment 
of uh, mental health, some of the most uh, well-known experts. And Otto Kernberg was there, and he had just turned 90. And he's got a really big perspective on this. And he talks a lot about narcissists and a lot about uh, sociopaths or antisocial personality disorder. And he says, when you put these two together, you're really getting... Um, the most severe personality disorder there is, and the most untreatable. This is an entirely untreatable disorder. And Eric Fromm originally talked about this in terms of uh, historic leaders who were malignant narcissists. He said the Pharaohs, the Caesars, um, and Hitler, of course, and Stalin, of course. Now, as mental health professionals, we've seen over the years this personality exists for some people in families, such as domestic violence, uh, for some people in the workplace who may destroy people's reputations and enjoy doing it, um, people in the world. So it can be at all levels of society. But the characteristics that ended up getting defined were really a combination of narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, paranoid traits, and sadism. And this certainly seems to fit what we're seeing today with Vladimir Putin we need to recognize that there are personalities like this who don't operate the usual way. These are people that don't negotiate. They rule. These are people who lie, people who look reasonable and yet are totally unreasonable. And we see them in different settings. I just read about a guy who murdered the uh, a visitation supervisor and his children in a divorce, and then himself in San Diego, where I am. And so it makes me wonder, was this a malignant narcissist that nobody spotted? And I think the world stage now is Putin, a malignant narcissist that's deceived everybody or almost everybody up to now. Yeah, it's interesting as you as I think back through all of the, you know, the video I've seen on in the news of, you know, other world leaders having meetings with with Vladimir Putin. And, you know, it just looks like a nice handshake, a nice conversation. Um, so it, it can be tricky because that can put in your mind that this is a rational person that will stop himself. Um, and as as you know, quite well, these are the folks who don't stop themselves. Mental health professionals really aren't supposed to diagnose public figures they haven't met. So how, how do you deal with this? Well, this is something that, that comes up uh, from time to time. And there's, there's the thing called the Goldwater Rule, which came out in the 1960s when Barry Goldwater was running for president and 1,100 uh, psychiatrists said he's not fit for office. And they got in trouble for that and passed what they called the Goldwater Rule for the American Psychiatric Association, which was we shouldn't be diagnosing public figures and people we haven't met. And there's a lot of logic to that, makes a lot of sense. But to me, there's two exceptions, and that's why I can write an article like this. 
One exception is I'm not governed by the American Psychiatric Association. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. We don't have a Goldwater rule, although the ethical standard is we don't diagnose people we don't know and haven't met. The other is I believe there's times when we need to use our knowledge for the safety of the public. And I, th I think of this like if you're a heart doctor and you see somebody that's showing symptoms of a heart attack um, and they're a public figure or someone that's maybe within the next month or two may have a heart attack, you should speak up about that. And that's okay because that's not uh, doesn't have the stigma of mental illness. But what, what I believe is we need to operate on the possibility that Putin has this disorder. And I say the possibility, so I'm not diagnosing him, but I'm saying let's operate as if he has some of the key characteristics. One of them is that he's not going to stop himself. And that's, as you said, Megan, that's, that's such an important principle. He has to be stopped. In other words, you're not going to persuade him to stop as of today, when we're recording this, uh, people are trying to convince him, you know, don't do this, don't do that. President of France is calling him again. And the reality is, I think Putin's loving it. Um, he doesn't care about people. And sadism means you enjoy other people's pain. And so when people say when he sees, you know, dead babies and when he sees dead Russian soldiers, that that will move him. Forget about it if he has this disorder. And that's the key. We need to operate as if he has this disorder, because what happens is people underestimate malignant narcissists rather than overestimating. And so we need to be more careful. Yeah, and I, you know. I've kind of thought about this with you know so many in the news talking about his you know does he have a mental illness that's just suddenly appeared or you know has it suddenly taken a turn for the worse um knowing what we do about about people with these personality types and uh, you know i think you've really hit on something here with this combination that creates this malignant narcissist he's a, he's a smart guy and combined with uh, you know, his need to have domination uh, and destroy um, others, you know, and, and enjoying their pain. I have to think he's been planning this for a long time. He's a, he's a chess player. Um, I, I don't, I, so I, I'm interested in your, your take on that. Has he waited until this moment? Has he been, uh, is he super reactive and it just, oh, I mean, we're going to go into Ukraine and conquer, or has this been building for a while in your estimation? I think this has been building, and, and maybe one of the key things to think about with malignant narcissists is Eric Frome called it malignant because it grows like a cancer. Most personalities, including personality disorders, are stable over a lifetime. They might get a little worse or a little better, but basically that's what you see. But this is different. This grows. And so the person grows in being grandiose. The person grows in being paranoid. And so 
what I think, and I read a recent article uh, by someone who studied him much more closely, and what she said, this is Fiona Hill, who was in the government and I believe wrote, wrote a biography of him or a study of him. And what she said is he's been stewing ever since um, 2014 when the Western countries said, we're open to having Ukraine and Georgia join NATO, that, that the door is open if they qualify or when they qualify, we'll welcome them into NATO. And that for Putin, that was the ultimate threat because that meant instead of Ukraine being part of the Russian Federation, it was going to become part of the Western countries lined up against him. So that his fears of that, which I think are paranoid fears, because I don't think NATO wants to start a war. Nobody in NATO has a malignant personality to my knowledge, that I've heard of. But he's been stewing since then. She also said that he's been isolated himself greatly with the pandemic. So he, he won't let anybody even sneeze anywhere near him. So he's, Yeah, I saw a picture of, of him at a table that was about, I don't know, it looked like a football. Yeah, like 20 <laughs> feet long or something. <laughs> yeah, and there's two people, uh, you know, two, two of his comrades, I guess, uh, clear at the other end. I don't know how they could even hear each other. Yeah. But the idea, he's so isolated. She said he's been spending some of this isolated time in the archives and looking at maps of old Russia. And what she says is his grandiose goals aren't to put together just the Soviet Union with countries that are on the edge, but to put together the old, um, the old imperial Russia. And that really, that's even bigger than the Soviet Union. And in his recent speeches, he's criticized Lenin, who was the, the communist leader with the revolution, uh, you know, what's that, almost 100 years ago, saying that they gave up parts of the Soviet, that they gave ground that they shouldn't have. And so he's, he may be more grandiose than Lenin was. Certainly, there's many similarities with Hitler in terms of lying about wanting to expand. Um, and here's an important point I was thinking about. I read recently, you know, the, the thing with Hitler is he told people, oh, I would never go into another country. I'm just building up our, our military for defensive purposes. And at one point, he even signed that he would only like go into one country or something. And that's when England um, uh, Chamberlain, the ambassador, said, OK, good, he's agreed he's just going to stop at invading one country. Well, apparently he even signed something like that and, of course, totally ignored it. So I don't think Putin, anything he signs is worth the paper it's written on. When you see this pattern, you have to think the extreme. So what, what Fiona Hill was saying is I think he has much grander um, fantasies of, of growth 
And he's also turning 70 in October. And that this may be, you know, I don't know, it's not a midlife crisis, but he's, he's got a, his time is running out. And I think that's a lot of why we're seeing this. But lastly, I want to say it's because the restraints of the world order are really loosened right now. The U.S. is fighting with itself. We just got out of Afghanistan with images that look terrible. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a big reason that he's going in there now. So I think when you don't have enough structure in the world, you get more high-conflict people with more high-conflict behavior. Yeah, at the peril of so many. And, you know... He's the the bully of bullies. He's the king of bullies, right? Um, bent on destruction and and getting what he wants. And like you said, being age seventy, it's probably a delayed mid. He had to delay his midlife crisis until he could, <laughs> you know, till the timing was right and and the world was situated just so. Uh, I want to also mention that he is gaslighting a bit, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I, I wish, I wish that you know, world leaders and those that really can make an impact would listen. You know, would understand this about him. What you're talking about with malignant narcissism, so that they don't get this backwards. He's projecting. He's gaslighting, um, and they're they're really expecting him to behave in ways that are more challenging and difficult than other world leaders. But I don't think they have a true picture of malignant narcissism, of what you're talking about, of, of the possibilities here, of what can happen. Yeah, I, th I think so. And, and just backing up, uh, uh, what, about 10 days ago, when he was massing 190 troops, 190,000 troops on the border with Ukraine from the north, the east, and the south, and people were saying, oh, he's trying to be intimidating, so we'll agree that Ukraine will never join NATO. Well, that's never going to happen. And he's just this and he's just that. And the gaslighting is when someone tries to tell you that their view of the world is right and what you see and what you hear isn't accurate. And so he's telling people, we're just having military op exercises and we're withdrawing, we're starting to withdraw our troops now. And you could see that that wasn't at all the case. And yet people were trying to believe, we so much want to believe that, the pro that problems are going to go away. And I think that's what we see in the workplace, and that's what we see in the family with domestic violence, alienation, these problems that are coercive control by somebody, and you just don't want to believe it because they're telling you there's no problem. And, and I think our brains just like to hear there's no problem. It's like, what a relief. And then the invasion began. So hopefully now... We're over that that stage of denial, um, that that hope that the person will change. I I want to say a couple of things. I think it makes sense that the economic sanctions, especially targeting 
the oligarchs around him because part of the HCP theory is that high-conflict people collect and seduce negative advocates, and the negative advocates give them like 10 times more power. And if the oligarchs aren't going to be able to get to their yachts and fly their planes and their, their, their wealth is going to be impacted, it may be this is a way, because we see that with high-conflict people. At some point, they lose their negative advocates, and then they're kind of naked there without as much power as they thought they had. And that's, to me, one of the biggest hopes. But... I'm not optimistic about anything. I think we need to be prepared to take strong action um, as strong as is available. And that leads us to the, the, the scary word, the nuclear option, right? I mean, the world is, is walking on eggshells <laughs> because he has, he has his, his finger on the button. So what do you do with the king of bullies with his you know, finger on, on, on the button? Well, that's a very tricky one. And I, I go back to the, uh, the Fiona Hill interview, which was uh, the 28th of February. I don't know where I found it, but if people want to look for that. She says he'll have no qualms about using nuclear weapons. And I think, and I'm not a politician or military strategist or whatever, but the principle with high-conflict people is you don't tell them that we won't match your strength, that you need to tell them we may match and dominate your strength, so watch out, buddy. And I think it's been a mistake to say, we're not going to go into Ukraine. I think it would be better to be very coy about that. Well, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Because once you give your strategy away as taking less um, uh, strength to the situation, that's empowering of a high-conflict person. So my thought would be we'd be very coy about this. Well, if we need to, if we don't need to, um, nuclear weapons would be a disaster, and I hope we don't need to use them. But Vladimir, watch out. Who knows what we'll do? And that's part of what works for him, is he's unpredictable. And frankly, I think that when you oppose someone like that, you need to be unpredictable too. On the other hand, I think you have to be much more reasonable. So, I, I would recommend against using nuclear weapons, but I would almost say, don't say you're not going to, just don't say, or say, let's see what we have to do here. So in his malignant mind, is he, uh, is he kind of laughing, do you think, that the world is, is walking on eggshells around him? I mean, he's, he seems to have everyone tied up in knots. You know, he, he's he's destroying a people. He's destroying a country. And we're sitting back and, you know, watching this happen. <laughs> and I, I, I think back to when I was a child and we grew up without television in our home. And so my mom read us, us uh, my two brothers and my sister and I, she'd read adult books to us. And some were on the Holocaust, some were missionary stories. They were always stories of heroism. Um, and I, re I remember as a child being very angry at 
my grandparents because they were alive during World War II. And I, in my child mind, thought, why didn't they do something? They were alive. They could have done something. And here we are. Um, you we're know, the grandparents and, now. We're the grandparents who should now. should do something. And I, I, I just said to my husband this morning, you know, why am I not writing to every congressperson and every world leader? Like, why am I not doing something? All right. So I guess maybe our podcast is, is my, my doing something. But, um, you know, what do we do? What, what can be done? Yeah, it's, um, I think, supporting relief efforts to Ukraine, and I think educating people like we're doing. Don't, you know, in, in my mind, and, and this Fiona Hill article was quite impressive to me, she says, we're not near the end, we're at the beginning. And she also said that, you know, World War III isn't coming, we're actually in World War III right now. And we need to decide what our strategies are to set the strongest limits we can without blowing up the world. And I think that we need to understand that. And the analogy to me also is we need to not tell Putin how upset we are. We need to tell Putin how strong we are. And that's what I teach people in court cases, is when you're dealing with a high-conflict personality, you need to not look like you're distraught and emotional because that feeds them. I think right now we're feeding Putin with our distress, our news stories, and that we should be talking about we are organizing the world and we're going to keep cutting off more and more every day until this stops. And, you know, we will or we won't uh, go deeper into helping Ukraine. You know, you watch out. You go further, we may have to go further too. Um, now, like I said, I'm not a military strategist, so... I'm not suggesting anything specific, but I do suggest that you don't give away that you're not going to do something when you're dealing with a malignant narcissist. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of, of the animal kingdom, really. You know, animals know this. They know that you, you have to be elusive. Um, you, you can't be super predictable to your enemy. And then when you do attack your enemy, you look much bigger. <laughs> you, you, you need to appear bigger than you actually are and even stronger, as strong as you are or stronger than you are. So um, I think we need to take some, some cues perhaps from, from the animal kingdom. Um, kind of coming full circle, you know, why is this happening now? I think that it's, it's a time of uh, lack of structure in the world. And as I wrote about in one of my earliest books, It's All Your Fault, uh, talking about the workplace, that when workplaces are too loose or disorganized, then you get high-conflict people because the high-conflict people are always there. It's kind of like, like germs of uh, a, a, a cold or something that's lingering there. And if you're weakened in a weakened state, then they'll take over for a while. And so I think what we're seeing now is a world that really needs to show its strength together and its rules. You can't do this, you can't do that, and, and we're not going to feed 
your narcissism by telling you how distraught we are. We're going to tell you how strong we are. That's, I think, why it's happening now. And partly with the U.S., we've got to learn to work together more. And, and I'm encouraged because it seems like there's getting there's mostly political unity around being as strong as possible right now, which is probably similar to World War II before we entered the war. And we were like, well, we don't really want to get involved, but maybe we need to. And we made the difference. Uh, strange things for me to be saying, but setting limits is what you have to do with high-conflict people, and he's an extreme example. Uh, very extreme. And, you know, this conversation would not be complete without talking a, a minute about uh, President Zelensky from Ukraine. I think he's he's shocked the world in his his stand that he's taken and rallying his country and really rallying the world. Um, to support Ukraine and support the people. Um, it's been quite remarkable. Yeah, and he's really doing everything right because he's got to keep his presence. He's keeping a high profile, um, which, of course, is very risky. But to, to rally his people and rally the world, he needs to talk to people every day and show his strength. And that's what he's doing. He's not showing his uh, weakness and sadness and frustration. He's showing his strength, and that's what you have to do. Yeah, and the people of Ukraine, they are a strong people. Uh, just a few days ago, um, I think we were three or four days into this war, um, the incursion into Ukraine, and uh, my husband suggested that, I, that we watch a Netflix documentary on the uh, past conflict in Ukraine, I think it was 2013-2014. Up until I watched that, I was able to watch watch news about this, you know, ongoing or this current conflict. But after watching that, that documentary where we saw the Ukrainian people have such strength and such commitment um, you know, they were willing to sacrifice and they were willing to stand up and protect their country and fight. And, you know, in this day and age, I don't know that every country in the world would would do that. So it's it's quite encouraging. But what it's done to me is, you know, I've connected with the people there now. And it's it's very hard for me to watch the news and what's happening. And I'm frustrated that I can't do more, <laughs> essentially. So... I guess we'll keep doing what we can and and our, you know, just um, our hearts and, and prayers go to the people of Ukraine and, and to the people of Russia who do not support this. Absolutely true. So I know this is a heavier topic, but I think a, a very important topic. And you'll find a link to Bill's article in the show notes, along with um, uh, some links to articles and, and other important information. And like I said earlier, we will be talking about this in, in future episodes. And you should feel free to, you know, to contact us with your questions um, about Putin or Ukraine or this conflict or, or malignant narcissism. And you can do that by sending your questions to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. Now, next week, we will have uh, the guest that was supposed to be here this week, uh, Dr. Jay Lieberman. 
a retired physician who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder late in life, which tanked his career and family relationships. So he has a very interesting story, and um, I think you'll really enjoy it and won't want to miss it. Please tell your friends about it and uh, tell them about our podcast. The more that know, the better uh, we all learn to get uh, along with each other. So until then, have a great week and keep learning about high conflict behavior so you can manage it in your life and just keep striving toward the missing piece. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Music